maybe you found yourself this past week kind of being immobilized with thoughts, thinking through all that is happening, escalation of cases and sheltering in place. And you're wondering what is going on? What's the future going to be like? For those of you that are instant, automatic educators and entertainers for your children doing their school, for those of us that have been in, sheltered in place with people, we never thought we'd be this close, this long to some of the people that we're with. People are experiencing isolation, loneliness. They're not able to connect with friends and family. The concern for their emotional, physical welfare. And some of us are experiencing loneliness during this time. Questions as far as our economic future. Some of us are dealing with furloughs and jobs that have been shuttered and people who are being released. And we're wondering about the economic impact in the future because of the decisions that are being made and what's taking place. And sometimes you find yourself staring at a computer screen, blank, staring out a window, just thinking, immobilized by what's happening in our world because of all the cares that are taking place. And you're wondering, where is this going? How are we going to get through this? Hey folks, Jonathan Scott, one of the pastors here at Forest Hill Church, and thank you for being a part of this broadcast from wherever you are, especially if you're brand new. This may actually be a first time that you're with Forest Hill Church. It's a privilege to have you. We love to connect with you, so feel free to punch the connect with us button that's on this broadcast, or if you're watching through YouTube, just send us your comments in the comment section. We'd love to connect with you. But you've joined us as we're continuing now in the fourth week of this series through the Gospel of Mark. As we're looking at this biography that the John Mark, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, is taking the dictation from the Apostle Peter, kind of like Jesus' right-hand apostle, of, G of Peter's first-hand experience with Jesus Christ and the impact that he had on his life. And John's writing this down, and he's using this in a way that's going to be broadcast, not by video, obviously, but people will be reading this for their encouragements because they're going through their own immobilizations, their own challenges. And he's using this to encourage their faith. The series we're calling is Trade Up. The idea is there, that there is something far greater in what Jesus is communicating that we can actually trade our lives up for to experience that greater something that is larger than what's happening around us. That's one of the reasons why this is great news, that Jesus is preaching this kind of news in that particular culture, and it's also being broadcast to us, that says there is something more, that there is a dynamic God life, an abundant divine energy signature of life that you and I were intended for that's designed to help us right now. We don't have to die to experience any of this, that there's an aspect of this new life, this kingdom life, the benefits of it, that enables us to experience the benefits of the kingdom right now, which is a message that I'm sure every single one of us right now really kind of needs. So this is a period of the, of the year where I personally go through a little bit of what I call lawn lust or lawn love as I'm taking a look at the neighbor right across the street. His lawn is gorgeous and I got to figure out how to be able to get to that. I think I've got somewhat kind of a green thumb when I plant things, stuff comes up with it. Uh, and so I'm, I can't wait to get back in there to get my hands dirty, to get into the lawn, to get into the garden, to, to be able to help things. No, that's really not how I roll. I'm not really looking forward to doing that. But one thing I do understand is that for growth in gardens or grass, that there are certain things that are important to optimize with the way the soil may produce that kind of growth. The number one most important element for gardens and grass is true green. No, it's actually soil. 
Soil is one of the most important elements to secure an optimal environment for growth within grass and gardens. Whether it's the sand, the clay, the silt, the fertilization, but also the microorganisms that facilitate. Here's what I, what I understand, is that the quality of the soil determines the potential for whatever's planted in it to produce the kind of growth that's necessary. And so in this particular chapter four of Mark, we're dealing with Jesus now introducing to us the direct parable. And what parables are, they're more than just illustrations. Parables are actually stories that are laid alongside truth that helps us to understand the meaning behind what Jesus is teaching of the kingdom. There are these kinds of stories that attract attention and interest. They're like portals into another world. They give us a window through which we can see the truth of God, but they're also like mirrors that if we're looking at them, that they actually show us something about ourselves of what's missing and what we can have. And so in this particular parable that we're about to go through, Jesus is connecting the reality of the kingdom through this illustration of sowing and harvesting to show us and help us to know how to cultivate a dynamic life that enables us to experience victory and power even in our present circumstances, something that we desperately all need. And that's awesome news that you and I can experience. And so we're taking a look at this particular passage that many people have called the parable of the sower and the seed. But I'm going to agree with others that said that they call this the parable of the four soils. And so what's happening in this parable, chapter four, verse one, Jesus is in a boat speaking to a large group of people. And he basically says, he actually bookends this particular parable with a command to listen. He says, okay, Pay attention, listen up, antennas on, this is important, don't miss this, listen up. And then he says, a sower was sowing some seed and some of that seed fell on the path. Kind of the well-trodden aspect of, this, of, of, of the field where it's been so compact and so dense that seed's not gonna get into it. And he says that immediately birds came and took that seed away. Then some other seed fell onto the rocky soil, basically soil that is kind of shallow in depth as far as soil is concerned. And sure enough, the seed immediately began to root. But because it was so shallow, when the sun came out, it scorched the shoot and it withered and it became unfruitful. Then some other seed fell along ground that was thorny ground that already had some contamination in, in, in it. And so much so that when the seed grew up, that the thorns choked. The word there is it suffocated, it strangled, it crowded out the ability of the seed to produce the seed, the, the fruit that was necessary. But then some seed fell on good soil, rich soil. It welcomed it and it produced a harvest that was 30, 60, 100 times more than what was seeded. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you've either received instruction or you got instruction and it was very clear that the person receiving the instruction wasn't getting it? It was, it was blank. They, it wasn't happening. There was maybe a furrowed brow, a little bit of a consternation or confusion. I think that's what happened with Jesus because when he said this to his disciples, verse 13, the disciples must have had that kind of look on their face. And Jesus says, don't you get it? Don't you understand this parable? If you don't get this parable, how are you going to understand any of the others? In other words, this particular parable is kind of like the Rosetta Stone of all parables. It unlocks the code of understanding of what Jesus is trying to communicate about the power and the magnitude of the kingdom of God that is right present among those he's speaking and those of us today. So I'll tell you what, they needed some help understanding what the parable was, we do too. 
So I'm going to ask you, as we walk through this particular passage, as a matter of fact, last week, when I watched the service online from my living room, I was sitting next to my uh, wife, I may, and Jason said, like what, what I've said, if you're able, in the honor of the reading of God, stand. And she and I stood, held hands and stood reading this passage. So in a very similar manner, if you are able, in a kind of united, shared understanding and reverence of the reading of God's word, if you are able, let me invite you to stand to your feet as we take a look at this parable Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. This is what it says. The sower sows the word. Some are like the word that's sown on the path. He's explaining this to his disciples. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. Others, they are like seed that is sown on rocky ground. And when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seed that is sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, here it comes, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seed sown on the good ground hear the word, they welcome it and produce fruit 30 60 and 100 times what was sown. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. And so Jesus is explaining the nature of what's happening in this parable. He identifies that the sower is himself or anybody who in partnership with Jesus is broadcasting the seed of the truth of the kingdom. The word, the message, the gospel of the kingdom. That's the seed that the sower, either him or us, is expressing. The soil is the soul. The soil is the recipients of that and the condition of their heart, their life, who they are, the essence, the personality, mind, will, and emotion. The soil of the soul, the condition, determines the quality of the fruit that is produced from the seed that is planted. As a matter of fact, here's the big idea for this message all the way through, and that is this. Divine life thrives in a receptive soul. We want to see people connected to the divine life. The divine life always thrives in a receptive soul, a soul that is welcoming, a soul that is open, accessible, a soul that is ready to adjust to the quality of the seed that's being planted. And so Jesus then talks about basically three kind of negative kinds of soils. Basically, the first one is a soil or soul that's hardened. It's become so dense and so compact that it's actually living in resistance of God. A hardened soul, what God is trying to get through to that person, it's not getting in because it's dense, it's compact. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of the story of a father who was having a conversation with his first grader, Max. And he said, Max, did you not hear me calling you? And Max says, no, dad, I didn't hear you calling me. And the father's like, how could you not hear me call? Wait a second, how many times did you not hear me calling you? And Max said about three or four times. Obviously, Max is not wanting to hear. And sometimes a hardened soul rejects and is not ready to receive anything from God at all. That's number one. The hardened soul resists, rejects even the seed that God gives to them. The word, the truth, invitation. The second one is a shallow soil or the shallow soul. And interestingly enough, it says that this particular soul receives the word with enthusiasm, with joy, and roots start to grow, but because it's only based on emotion 
rather than devotion that's deep, then when trouble comes or persecution, that which is in regard to the faith, then those kinds of people wither away and actually abandon and walk away from the faith. That's the shallow soul. Folks, sometimes in receiving the message of Jesus Christ, there's got to be emotion to it. But when emotion becomes a foundation rather than devotion, then when trouble comes or persecution shows up, we do not have the ability of resisting the force that is an enemy of the seed in our soil, in our soul. Then the third one is the one I want to spend a little bit more time on, and that is the disturbed or the divided or the distracted soul. Jesus talks about the fact that for those kinds of people, they, they are those who kind of desire the wrong thing or those who are seduced and deceived by wealth and the magnitude, thinking that their life can be based on wealth, but also those who are overcome by the cares of this world. And I think that's where we all are right now. He says that for those people who are overrun by the cares, the worries, that those things actually choke and strangle and overpower and crowd out the potential of the word to produce the life that we were meant for and God desires for us. As a matter of fact, there was a study that was done at University of Tennessee several years ago that showed the effects of the media on our thinking. It had two groups, a control group of people that for 12 years, they were subjected to five minutes every single day of positive news five minutes every day for 12 years. The other group, every single day for 12 years, five minutes of negative news. Just five minutes, the results were profound. They found in, in the people who had the negative news just five minutes a day for 12 years, that those people became much more depressed. These are people who thought that what they were hearing was actually going to happen to them. They thought that the world was a negative, dangerous place. These were the kinds of people who were also least likely to lend aid or assistance to other people. Folks, it's not only true that, what, that we become what we eat, but we also become what we think. That the content of our thoughts, the barrage that continues to happen in just five minutes a day can affect the way that we live our life, also affects what we believe. And sometimes we become so inundated by those cares and those thoughts. Here's the thing. We would think that some of the scholars say that this particular parable is interpreted for those who are believers or non-believers and believers. In other words, that these three soils, the hardened, the shallow, and the disturbed, the distracted soil, those are people who have never really fully received the kingdom of God, and therefore they are always on the outside. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But can I be honest with you? that even as a believer in Jesus Christ, who's been following him for over 50 years, there's an aspect to where I've experienced, even in my walk with God, hardness, where God's been trying to get my attention about something and I resisted him because of a hard heart. I experienced the consequence of my rebellion and came back. There've been times that I've been more about the emotional thing, the shallow and the emotion that was kind of being birthed in my life and so much so that when it actually didn't work out the way that I wanted it to, I found myself kind of shrinking and moving backward because it was more about emotion than devotion. But I will tell you honestly that I've also experienced the overpowering strangulation of the cares of this world in my life that has caused me to weaken in my faith and my perspective of God's faithfulness and love. 
maybe you have too. As a matter of fact, I've spoken to some of you over these last couple of weeks, people who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, but because of finances, because of the news that's coming, because of the welfare of your family and loved ones, because of isolation, because I, as a matter of fact, I spoke with a brother this past week who in addition to COVID-19 was also dealing with his own personal issues and it just got so much And he was tempted just to say, is is it worth it? Where where is God in all this? And there was this desire to just walk away from the faith. Folks, many of us have been there. Maybe you're there right now wondering, is it all worth it? That's the cares of this world, the inappropriate desires, the deceitfulness of wealth, strangling out the vitality of the seed of the kingdom of the word of God that's in us. We've all gone through that. And yet Jesus also talks about the fourth soil. The fourth soil represents a soul that is responsive. It welcomes the seed with an intention and accessibility, but with an intention to follow through in obedience. And that life, and folks, it's not as if there's something special. There's a humility, there's an openness that when the seed is planted, they receive it and it's planted, it goes deep and it actually begins to do the harvesting work of bringing about the righteousness and listen, the life that you and I were meant for through that seed, through the word of God, through the living word and testimony of Jesus Christ is designed to produce a harvest of hope, of peace, of righteousness, of victory, even in the situation that we're dealing with, enabling us to rise above and live above our circumstances rather than under them. But it, it's required that our soul the soil of our soul, it needs to be treated. Let me ask you, do you want to have the kind of life that no matter what kinds of circumstances are happening around you, the quality of the condition of the circumstances, that the quality of the life of Christ in you enables you to transcend the circumstances and live with peace and with power? If that's the case, then the treatment of the soil of our soul is necessary. If we're going to be the kind of people to have the kind of lives through which Jesus is able to speak and move and live and we respond with obedience, ready to walk alongside of him and experience his life in us that makes us more than overcomers and champions, then our soul needs to be treated like the soil does. A couple of things to consider about how to treat the soul. Number one, repenting from a sin-infected heart. Folks, when, when our heart's hard and we're, not, we're, we're rejecting, we're resisting God, folks, that's the result of sin. The more that we entertain sin in our lives, the harder it is for God's truth to get into us. And so we have to repent, to turn away from the ways that we're trying to control the outcomes for our own happiness on our own terms and to surrender ourselves completely to Christ. That's number one. Being able to treat our soul is to repent from sin-infected hearts that can become hard. But number two, another thing we can do is to take the time to recall God's faithfulness in the past. Pastor Lee Strobel says that spiritual amnesia is when we become so anxiety-ridden, so afraid of our future because we've forgotten God's track record of faithfulness in our past. I want to encourage you to take the time to be able to actually rehearse and to remember what God has done in your life. 
Psalm chapter 77, verse 10 says this, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. King David says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. How many of you right now can remember challenging circumstances that you came through, that you went through maybe years ago? And all of a sudden, at this particular point, you realize you're not connected to those same circumstances that somehow God brought you through. I can think of those in my own life. Tough times where I didn't see a way out. I didn't know how how I get through it, but I did. He brought me through. That same God that brought us through that will bring you through this as well. But it makes sense for us to take the time to rehearse, to recite, to remember what God has done. So can I encourage you to do this? Tell somebody. Take the time to actually share with somebody what you have learned of God's faithfulness in your past. Moms and dads, this will be a great time. Get your kids, put them in the room, circle, circle up in, in, in the family room or the den or whatever else and share with them and let them share how they have experienced God's faithfulness in the past. If you've got a roommate, family members, or on the phone, maybe you're, you're, you're living by yourself, call a friend and share and let them share how has God been faithful. We need to treat our soul with the remembrance of God's goodness and faithfulness that can actually retard the strangulation of our faith because of the cares that are going on in the world. As a matter of fact, next Thursday night across all of our campuses, we're going to enter into those particular digital portals through which we will remember the faithfulness and the goodness of what God has done for us through the sacrifice of Christ as we prepare for Easter. I encourage you to be a part of that and to remember, to recall God's faithfulness in the past. But also, another way to treat the soil of the soul, renew your mind with truth. Renew your mind with truth. Isaiah chapter 26, verse three says that God has kept him in perfect peace, the one whose mind is steadfast on him. And the apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four, verse eight says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. Think on these things. Folks, this is not simply a call to the power of positive thinking. This is to focus on what is true, on what is right, on what is pure, on what is lovely, because the focus of those kinds of things changes the nature and the condition of our heart and moves it to calibrate with the nature of what God is doing in our life. It starts with Scripture. You've got the time now that forced to be able to focus in on the truth of God's word in scripture or to focus on the beauty of what God's doing around us. There's so many things that we can have as far as content to influence the way that we think and the way that we are addressing what's happening in our life. Right now, Forest Hill, you want to go to the website, there's all kinds of content, especially through our YouTube page. And parents, our family ministries, we have an online on their website. There is content right there for your kids to experience and be nursed and encouraged in their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we invite you to be a part of that. But folks, there's no excuse for us to not take the time to make sure that we are giving God equal airtime to all the stuff that we're binging on that's negative 
but to allow God to implant in our hearts the character of who he is through his word. Another way that you can also change the nature of your mind is to actually do something good for somebody else. To take the time to renew our mind by leveraging what God has given to us that benefits other lives. Listen, I know that there's no way that we can't think about what's taking place around us. We can't ignore all that's happening. But folks, the condition of what is happening around us cannot compare to the supreme, superior significance of the condition of the seed of the word of God. Here's the promise. The seed is good. That's the word of God. That's the truth of God. It's the living testimony of Jesus Christ. And that seed is good. And if that seed is properly planted in a soul, in a heart, in a life that's ready to receive that, here it is. Harvest is guaranteed. Harvest of righteousness, of peace, of power, of the ability of being able to persevere and not just survive, but to thrive. It is guaranteed. I don't know when it's coming, but harvest is absolutely on its way for anyone who is willing to say, Jesus, have your way in me. I open my life to you. I'm ready to receive and to respond by faith to what you're doing in me. We need it. You need it. I need it. I want it. And Christ wants that for us as well as we yield our lives completely to him. It's been said that human beings are able to count how many seeds are in an apple, but only God can count how many apples are in a seed. That when we receive properly into our soul the rich joy and vitality and power of the seed of the living word of Christ, we cannot comprehend the abundance of the harvest that comes to our life by connecting and receiving his dynamic life as well. I would say the number one result or the number one element for that is humility. Humility. Recognizing our inadequacy and God's sufficiency and requesting and asking God for help. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties, your cares on him, because he cares for you. How about we do that right now? How about we ask God for his help and to bring the fullness of his kingdom to bear into the soil of our soul so we can experience the harvest of his peace, his righteousness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in the past in ways that we sometimes still do not even know. And God, we're claiming and we're resting on your faithfulness in the presence. And Lord, we admit we need your help. We ask you that, Lord Jesus, you would bring the fullness of your kingdom to bear and plant that deep in our soul. Even give us, give us the gift of being receptive to all that you want. And for my brothers and sisters, to those who are watching, for those who are dealing with all kinds of cares and anxieties, I pray your peace on them upon us, that we can experience the benefit of your kingdom right now in the midst and that we will experience your victory and your power. We can't wait for the harvest. So have your way in us as we place our faith, our trust in a God who has proven himself faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.